Welcome in to the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe, presented by Bet Online. I'm Ross Geiger, joined alongside Bruce Bernstein of Pure Hoops Media and World B, Michael Freer. This is episode number 72, the Jason Capono episode, as Capono wore number 72 during the 2010-2011 NBA season as a member of the Philadelphia 76ers. The former UCLA Bruin sharpshooter had hoped to wear number 24, which he had worn throughout his career, but when he signed as a free agent in Philly, the number 24 jersey is retired for the great Bobby Jones. So since Capono's job was to knock down three-pointers, he did a quick calculation, taking his typical number 24 times three, which equals 72. So nice quick story for you there on the 48 Minutes podcast. But before we get any further into the show, it's a Texas showdown in the postseason, and Bet Online is your number one source for all your baseball wagering info with up to the minute scores and matchup breakdowns get the latest game odds spreads and totals for the nfl and college football at your fingertips with bet online's real-time updates on statistics news and odds we have everything you need to stay up to speed on each lcs all the way through to the world series head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action don't forget to use our promo code believe that is b-l-e-a-v to receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online where the game starts. And tonight we're going to start off with our opening tip. And World B, why don't you go first here? Oh, thank you, Ross. As we approach the end of the preseason, we are also approaching the end of the James Harden era with the 76ers. His refusal to ever be a part of the 76ers organization again was one of the big offseason topics of discussion. And while most came down hard on the future Hall of Famer, this constant cloud of uncertainty regarding his future continues to hover over this franchise. The one that, by the way, you can make the case are responsible for this situation escalating to this point. It's been embarrassing for Harden, the 76ers, and the league. But the good news is that it's coming to an end because there is no way the 76ers are going into this season having to deal with James Harden questions night after night, win or lose. Harden says he only wants to go to the Clippers, and the noise around the league is that the Clippers are trying to acquire enough assets, otherwise known as draft capital, to send Philadelphia's way in order to get a deal done. We can discuss whether this is the right move for the Clippers to make or even for the 76ers to make down the road. For now, let's just be happy that sometime in the next seven days, this embarrassing mess will be over. Yeah, I, it definitely is a mess, and it should be over soon. I'm in agreement with you there, Will B. I think they're going to get something done because it is a huge distraction heading into uh, another NBA season. So uh, look forward to when that trade does go down and cer certainly expect that before opening night for the Philadelphia 76ers. Bruce? Thank you, Ross. Thank you, World B. The Boston Celtics have hired Jeff Van Gundy as a senior basketball consultant. Now, you remember him coaching the Knicks, of course, and the Rockets, and he's been a strong and wise NBA voice on ESPN and ABC for many years. His hiring is the crowning achievement for a season of non-player changes in Boston. That's right. My former teammate at ESPN will oversee all levels of the organization and share his wisdom and player familiarity with head coach Joe Missoula. And speaking of Missoula, 
who I'm contractually required by World B to mention that he went to the University <laughs> of West Virginia. Well, he now has a strong brain trust around him. Sam Cassell, Charles Lee, and Phil Pressey, three highly respected assistant coaches, join his bench, and adding Van Gundy is reminiscent of a similar move by the Celtics 11 years ago. After the late Flip Saunders left the Washington Wizards, he joined the Celtics as an advisor and spent a year there before returning to Minnesota as their president and eventual head coach before dying way too young at the age of 60. It'll be interesting to see if Jeff Van Gundy also uses this gig as a stepping stone for a return to coaching in the future. And if Joe Mazzula, alum of the University of West Virginia, should stumble, who knows? It might even be in Boston. Wow. That could be a, a hot take from you there, Bruce, as far as uh, Jeff Van Gundy being in the coaching circle again. But definitely a great hire and an exciting one for Boston fans. Uh, certainly doesn't hurt to have someone with that much wealth of knowledge uh, on, with, within the organization. As for my opening tip, we did have our first preseason trade happen earlier today on, on Tuesday. And that was the Oklahoma City Thunder electing to absorb Kevin Porter's $16.9 million contract before immediately waiving him as Porter is currently dealing with extremely serious and concerning legal problems. In return for taking on Porter Jr.'s remaining salary obligations, the Thunder did receive two second round picks, a 2027 second round pick via Minnesota and a 2028 second round pick via Milwaukee. So I thought it would would be good to go ahead and update everybody with the, the OKC draft pick total here tonight. <laughs> Oklahoma City now has 15 first-round picks and 22, that's right, 22 second-round picks over the next seven seasons. Keep in mind that they already have an exciting young talent that they already employ on the court, along with these future draft, ex, uh, draft ex, uh, assets. The Thunder should keep roaring and making more noise around the league for many years to come. And one interesting side note, too, for the deal for Houston's sake, is they did go ahead and acquire Victor Oladipo. Now, I don't know how much more Oladipo has in the tank, but he is a guy that uh, obviously has a lot of wealth of experience for a lot of younger players and uh, could be another guy in Ime Adoka's arsenal. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. So. With that, let's go right into thing here, right into things here, fellas, with our first quarter. And let's discuss Damon Giannis, who debuted as a duo this past Sunday in the City of Angels. The Milwaukee Bucks went ahead and won this game 108-97. The biggest takeaways here, of course, is Damian Lillard and Giannis pairing up together. Giannis played 15 minutes, was an efficient 7 of 10, and had 16 points to go along with eight rebounds and two blocks. As for Lillard, I got to be honest, as a Bucks supporter here, um, this looked more like a ramp up game, kind of just getting in some game cardio and, and kind of going through the offensive sets. Didn't really see much from Dame that uh, really stood out. 22 minutes, three of 10 shooting, um, three assists. He did have four steals, but overall, I didn't see much. I, I didn't have many takeaways from this. I feel like Adrian Griffin. Didn't really show his cards really that much outside of the fact that we saw a lot of off the ball screen set between Giannis and Dame, which I think could be interesting for the regular season. But I want to ask you guys, Bruce, I'll start with you. Um, what were your big takeaways from just seeing this dynamic duo uh, debut? Well, you know, it's the preseason game and it's their first time together out on the court. So you take pretty much everything with a grain of salt. I don't think anybody was really too concerned about the numbers it's not like these guys have not been super consistent throughout their careers. Um, 
But Giannis was raving about the space that he had to operate in uh, with with Dame drawing so much attention from LA's defense. I mean, that's going to be pretty challenging for the Bucks opponents this year. The question of, you know, can, you know, you can stop one of them on a given night and the other one probably will, you know, drop a 30 spot on you. And some nights you won't stop either one of them. And on almost no nights will you stop them both. So they're always going to have somebody there. Uh, they're always going to have a 30 point, you know, threat uh, available. Now, interestingly, they played their second game on Mon on Tuesday night as we're recording the show against the Oklahoma City Thunder, who uh, with uh, at the end of three quarters, the Thunder are up by 19 on him and Dame is having another poor night. Giannis is doing his thing like he always does, but Dame was two out of 11. So again, nothing to be concerned about, I don't think. Uh, but I would say in their last game, you know, prior to when the season begins, which is a week from Tuesday, right? Tuesday night, the 24th. Yeah. Um, I would think that they're going to want to try and fine tune things a little bit and not be satisfied with two for 11 and oh for three for 10 shooting from Dame. What do you think, World? Yeah, I don't expect that to uh, continue, obviously. You know, when you're a shooter and you're a perimeter shooter, you're going to have nights like that. And, you know, he, he missed a lot of time last season. So, you know, he he's getting back in the swing of things. He's with new teammates. He's learning everything. Uh, I was particularly a big fan of Giannis's uh, comments after the game, like you said, where he said, quote, never been more wide open for a game. So that, that pose, well, he's, he's super excited. I, I You can tell about the prospects there. Yeah, I think the pick and roll is going to be a huge part of this offense uh, this season. It, it makes sense. So you're going to have Giannis coming off screens and, and Dame, who I mentioned in another episode, he had a career high in drives last last season. I think sixteen a game. So that's I don't think that's going to. We only equip we only equate uh, Damian Lillard with perimeter shooting because he's so good and he's so uh, prolific with it. But he's great at driving the ball to the basket. He's you know solid addition to now. He's just such a great scorer. You don't you tend to forget that. I this offense is going to be really really hard to stop. And we mentioned it before in the offseason. This was the problem last season. Offense was the problem for the Milwaukee Bucks last season. Not they were bad because their numbers, efficiency wise and shooting wise, were, were actually at the level or better than the previous season. But the league is getting more and more efficient. It's getting more and more offensive, and the Bucks' uh, progression was just not as not as great as the rest of the league. So they were down in the middle of the pack. They're gonna get. They're gonna be a top ten offense this this season, if not top five. Uh, because of the way the league is set. And I got, you know, you got three tremendous 20, 25 point scores a night, you know, with this group. So if they're healthy, this is going to be a tough, tough team to stop. Yeah. Great point. There will be. And I was going to definitely mention that as well for all the concerned fans with Dame's production or lack thereof thus far through a very small sample size of two preseason games where he's just kind of ramping up. But Fact of the matter is, we haven't seen Chris Middleton yet. Bruce, you had uh, made us aware of an interesting article on The Athletic. Uh, curious what your thoughts were on uh, your takeaways from that piece. And uh, let's talk a little bit about Chris Middleton before we move on to the second quarter. You know, he was always Giannis's top offensive teammate. He made the All-Star game three times. You know, he won a ring with him in 2021. Last season, we know he battled injuries and, you know, missed more than half of the regular season games. Um, 
And last week, uh, but 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 it seems. Tell me if I'm wrong, Ross. It seems that he seems he's mostly healthy heading into this season. Um, yeah. Okay, so last week he spoke to Eric Name of the Athletic, and he seemed pretty unconcerned about the fact that you know they asked him, well, now that you're you were the number two guy, now that you're the number three guy, and he didn't seem too concerned about it. In fact, he said Dame and Giannis are going to make the game much easier for me. That's yeah. him talking. He said. Um, you know, he, he's willingly accepting this modified role, and that gives new head coach Adrian Griffin a third scoring threat, a guy who's a stone-cold bucket getter who's going to have a lot more freedom and room to operate. So I would expect Chris Middleton, maybe he won't put up 20 points a game, but, you know, he'll probably be, you know, you know, in the high teens anyway, shooting a very good percentage. Yeah, I would totally agree. And if there's any fears that uh, Chris Middleton has, I think you should just take a look at Phoenix right now. I think Phoenix is the best example out West of a three-star tandem with Beal, Booker, and Durant. I mean, those guys have been sharing the ball extremely well, getting open shots all throughout this preseason. I, I see no reason why the Bucs can't do that. Wouldn't you agree, Will B? Oh, absolutely. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we just I, I just mentioned, this league is getting more and more uh, offensive, for lack of a better phrase, and there, there's more and more offense in this league than there's ever been, and it's only going to continue the way they're setting up the rule. So Chris Middleton knows knows this. He's not he's not going to be a 15 point a game night. He's going to be pushing still 20 points a night. He's going to have plenty of opportunities. And the other thing I keep going back to is I you know that article and and everybody talks about the what's it feel like to be the third guy now, the number three guy in the three man pecking order or whatever and I go back to that was Chris Bosch's role in with the heat yep. and who made the biggest play for them the year they beat the Spurs it was Chris Bosch with an offensive rebound setting up Ray Allen in game six to tie it and set it up there in 2016 you had Kyrie you had LeBron and you had Kevin Love as the third guy on that big three who came up with a big defensive play at the end of that game is Steph Curry, of all people. It was Kevin Love, the biggest. So there is plenty of opportunity, and there will be plenty of opportunity, to have a tremendous impact on this team and on this uh, in the run towards a, a championship. I think Milton knows this. I think the rest of the team knows this. Giannis is, is going out of his way to make sure that Chris Middleton understands it and and you you know in that article you can tell how much he uh, he cares about him as Bruce mentioned yeah I don't think maybe the numbers will be a little off in terms of scoring but I don't think they're gonna be that far off no and I don't think there's really any concerns here for Chris I mean he's also being paid uh quite a bit Absolutely. too so it's not like he's up for a contract extension and worried about the numbers to kind of justify you know, the statistics there. I mean, he's already got his his big payday there on the extension. So really no pressure there. I think Chris is going to fit perfectly into that uh, that role as the kind of third option per se. But I'm with you, World B. I mean, he's going to get plenty of opportunity. Uh, I will say this. One more thing I will say real quick. They will need him too. It's not yeah. is it because they do not have the depth right now that they would probably like because they gave so many assets to, you know, make this deal. Um, so they, they definitely need his scoring. They definitely need him to hit that outside shot, just like they need Lillard. Cause shooting is right now. I know you have Lillard and I'm not expecting two for 11 or anything like that, but shooting is a, a concern on this team along with depth and, and, uh, and defense right now, but I'm not concerned about the defense because the offense is going to, what 
going to be what carries them for now. But yeah, I'm I'm interested to see how the shooting goes with this team, and that's right up Middleton's alley. And you know, let us not forget. I mean, Malik Beasley is now on this team, and he's definitely going to bolster their outside shooting. He's got 20 points in the game on Tuesday night, uh, and again, he's um, you know he's a guy that can hit from downtown. So he's that's six and six for 11 on Tuesday from three. So uh, you know, Milwaukee's more than just these three guys and Brooke Lopez. You know, they got they got some guys. Yep, and they're going to need Malik because, of course, they did uh, send out Grayson Allen, who's playing extremely well for the Phoenix Suns. That was a loss of a shooter there. So Malik's going to have to be big. Chris Middleton's going to have to step up and be big as well. Moving right along here to our second quarter, the NBA's annual GM survey was recently released last week. And uh, I wanted to quiz you guys, or, or I'm just kind of curious here, you know, what was one poll question you saw from that survey that really grabbed your attention? Bruce, I'll start with you. Um, there was actually two that I kind of combined together here because, okay. and, and I'll explain. The best point guard uh, question was, who is it? Stephen Curry was voted number one, 63%. And Luka Doncic was voted number two with 27%. That makes sense, right? Okay. Now, best small forward. Jason Tatum was voted number one with 47%, and Kevin Durant was number two with 20%. The number three small forward was Luka Doncic with 17%. So what does this say about Luka? Well, I think what it says is he's a 6'7 backcourt beast who's a top scorer, a top passer, and a rugged rebounder. He's a classic example of a Hall of Fame caliber positionless superstar. I would tend to agree there. And it uh, sounds like a lot of GMs like uh, Josh Green, hoping he can get some more time with the Mavericks because that's the only way I see Luca actually kind of considered a small forward there uh, with that roster. But uh, interesting points, Bruce. Will B, uh, what were your big takeaways? Uh, the one I, I thought was interesting was the breakout season. Um, the, Winner, uh, the person ranked first, the highest percentage was Anthony Edwards, you know, my guy, yeah. uh, my all-star there with uh, 23%. And it, it made sense. He, you know, third year in the league, he's improved his shooting, his rebounding, his assists, his scoring, all this uh, perimeter shooting. Every season's gotten better and better. So, you know, last season, about 25 a game. So who knows what, what's going to happen this year, especially after a season – uh, on Team USA being one of the main players. Uh, the one that was surprising in terms of how many votes they received or percentage of votes was another one of my guys, Paolo Bancaro, was tied for fourth at 7%. And I was I was kind of uh, – found that unusual because uh, his teammate, Franz Wagner, Wagner was uh, uh, listed ahead of him, who was an you know, excellent player and could very well have that breakout season. I just think – this is a player, Bancaro, that's going to go from uh, rookie of the year, whatever he had. We've talked about it. I think he has 30 point per game potential. I think he has an offensive game like a veteran already. He just needs to be a much better, he needs to improve his shooting. But his ability to get to the line, his ability to create is really right up there with the best of them right now. He just has to be a better shooter. If he can't improve his shooting, then he'll be, he should be fourth, fifth, sixth, whatever on breakout season. But if he improves his shooting, like, let's be honest, there's nowhere for him to go but up. He was atrocious from the perimeter last season. 
So if he does, if he does improve, like he, you know, a year playing on Team USA and and a year working, you know, hard in the offseason, if he does improve, yeah, I think that's a thirty point per game guy in a league where you're going to have more thirty point scorers. I think this season than ever before. I got to say something about that. Sorry, Ross. I'll be real quick. I promise. Were the GMs voting on last year's breakout player of the year being <laughs> Anthony Edwards? Because unless I'm totally mistaken, he had his breakout year last year. He was an all-star. He was the one of most one of the most exciting guys in the entire league. Fellas, he'd done already broken out. Yeah, I agree with you there. I think he I think he's already broken out. I mean, obviously he can get better. He's still young and still developing kind of his confidence with his all-around game. And Obviously, I think the defense can improve, too. There's a ton of defensive pre- uh, potential with the Ant-Man, with what, what he can do defensively, especially in the steals categories. I think he can be one of the league leaders in steals this year if he really is committed uh, to playing uh, on that side of the ball. But uh, I'm with you, Bruce. I, I was kind of scratching my head seeing that one and being like, isn't that big of a surprise if he if he gets that much better after what we just saw this summer with Team USA? I don't think so. As for mine, uh, the one that really interested me was uh, which team made the best overall moves this offseason. Now, it went like this. Number one was a tie between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Boston Celtics. They were tied at 23% of the vote. Second was the Portland Trailblazers at 17%, which, of course, has to do with the haul they got from Damian Lillard. Number three is the Los Angeles Lakers, who pretty much kept their core intact, added uh, Christian Wood into that mix. And then where it really started to get head scratching for me was who was tied for fifth. It was the Houston Rockets, which hands down, I totally agree that the uh, Rockets, uh, of course, definitely got better with Ime Udoka. I think that's an uh, overall move that's going to be considered. And then, you know, obviously bring in some veteran pieces to go ahead and help those younger guys. I'm, I'm not opposed to that at all. It's the Dallas Mavericks. And I know World B, that's one of your teams here, but I've watched them a little bit in preseason. And uh, I just don't understand what they're doing with their five-man position. I mean, they have Dwight Powell, who's been there forever, it seems like now. But they're starting uh, two rookies, Omax Prosper out of Marquette. And they also have uh, Derek Lively out of Duke, who had a struggle Uh, early on last season at Duke and is definitely struggling here in preseason. The biggest two things with Lively that are not really making much sense to me here is it looks like he's lacking strength and feel out there. I mean, how much patience are elite guards and Luka Doncic and um, Kyrie Irving going to have with playing with a guy that can't even set strong screens? I mean, we talk about, Bruce, you're a huge proponent of screen setting with Steven Adams being one of your biggest guys, if this guy's getting pushed around the post, push it, pushed out, uh, trying to set on-ball screens up top, I mean, how effective can those guards be uh, without a, a legitimate big man to set those screens for him? So um, I, I just don't understand the Mavericks being that high in this list. But, uh, Bruce, it seems like you didn't like the Rockets this high. Uh, do you have any, any comments on that? No, I mean, I thought the Rockets had a very good uh, offseason. Okay. I, I said I thought – I thought that that they did. But, you know, it's funny. Some of the best screen setters in basketball traditionally have been guards. Uh, John Stockton was one of the best screen setters in the history of this league for many, many years. Uh, And Stephen Curry is an outstanding screen setter, and it's one of the reasons that he works himself open for so many shots. So, I, I, you know, 
if Luca and Kyrie were willing to set screens for the other guy, maybe that might mitigate some of the lack of screen setting ability with somebody like Lively. But I've seen no real evidence that that's likely to happen. <laughs> yeah, World B, are you are you going to count your eggs there with uh, Kyrie Irving setting screens for Luca? Or I will, I will <laughs> gladly um, proclaim this a shocker. <laughs> and an uh, all-time blunder of me supporting Kyrie when I start seeing Kyrie set screens. Uh, I will know we have entered another dimension in in uh, not just the world, but the NBA, uh, to see Kyrie Irving, of all people, setting a screen on a consistent basis. You know, he may set a screen where he gets lost in a crowd and hits somebody <laughs> by, by another defender. I don't know if that counts or not, but you know, for the, for the sake of Kyrie, we'll say, yeah, that counts. But in terms of actually setting the screen, no. Your your big guys have to do a little better, Ross, I'd say. Yeah. I mean, Luka Doncic didn't lose all that weight to set screens, did he? I mean, he, <laughs> he had that weight. I can set better screens. But uh, he did shed some cal- some some uh, LBs this summer and uh, looks to be in great shape heading into this year. So where I was really going with this, too, is where, where are the Phoenix Suns on this? I mean, I get if you hated the DeAndre Ayton trade return. But I don't see how the Phoenix Suns don't crack the top five, adding Brad Beal. And then after at, adding Beal to that contract situation and getting the amazing off-the-bench guys and Eric Gordon, Wananabe, Drew Eubanks, Metsu, and then coming back in that eight and trade is Grayson Allen, a guy on the last show we discussed, seems to be fitting in quite well in Phoenix. So I think Phoenix did a heck of a job this summer and uh, just kind of surprised to see – a team like the Dallas Mavericks who really didn't improve that much. I mean, they have their stars in place, so that's obviously going to be a lot of fun, but uh, that was the head scratcher for me. And with that, we've gone ahead and reached our halftime buzzer. So we're going to take a quick break and come back with you for the second half. And we're back with the start of the third quarter, and we are going to stay out West. And we're going to discuss LeBron, who's about to enter season number 20, 21. And what can we expect from King James and the Lakers this season? Bruce, I'll start with you. Okay. Bear with me here. There's going to be a few numbers here, but I'll try and make them meaningful and, and make some sense. The remarkable LeBron James, as you mentioned, will soon begin his 21st NBA season. His performance in his 20th season in the league is far and away the best of any player ever. In seasons 19 and 20 combined, he he averaged 29.6 points per game. That is more than two points more than his career average in years 19 and 20 of his career. Let that sink in a little bit while I now tell you how some of the other greats who played 21, 20 years saw their production in years 19 and 20. In Of the players who played 20 seasons, only Kobe Bryant averaged more than 19 points combined in seasons 19 and 20. That's more than 10 points fewer than what LeBron averaged and more than five below Kobe's career average. Even the great Kareem Abdul-Jabbar averaged only half his career average, 12.4 points in seasons 19 and 20. He was over 24 for his career. LeBron's Lakers are one of the teams expected to be championship contenders. And while he's received some excellent offseason help, which I'm sure you guys are going to talk about in a moment, 
he is still the man in LA, despite deferring to Anthony Davis in many cases, including on media day where Anthony Davis went first. LeBron normally would have, but LeBron said, AD, it's all you. You're the face of this franchise now. Well, I'm not sure I believe that, but it's a nice humble brag there. Last year, Darvin Ham reduced LeBron's minutes slightly, but he still averaged more than 35 minutes a game, okay, in his 20th season. Hello? He may play even fewer minutes this season, and since he's missed a bunch of games the last three seasons, that management of his minutes is going to be really important for LA's postseason aspirations, guys. Yeah, no, I totally agree. The one thing I think we can count on is LeBron James will reach 65 games because he's definitely going to want to stay in contention for some postseason awards. But World B, what are your what are your uh, big takeaways with the Los Angeles Lakers? What you've seen in preseason thus far, and your outlook on their their upcoming year? Well, I, I mentioned during over the summer we talked about um, some of these teams, and I mentioned I think they're a 50 win team. Uh, and I think they're an absolute contender out West. Uh, this is LeBron James's last good chance to win a championship. And I think he knows that he, you know, there's no team. I don't think that needs the health of their stars more than the Lakers between Anthony Davis and LeBron James. It's also probably the franchise that's on the thinnest of ice when it comes to the health of their uh, superstars. Uh, the Clippers maybe uh, could be a contender there as well as far as uh, health status. But yeah, I mean, LeBron is, is, is a freak of nature that we really never, whether you, wherever place you want to play, put him on the all time list and all that stuff. There's no disputing. He is a freak of nature in terms of what he can do at age 38. He's going to be you know 39 this year. You know, last season, here's the list of players that averaged at least 25 points eight rebounds, six assists, and shot 50% from the field. Here's the list. LeBron James, and that's it. <laughs> there is nobody else. This is this is LeBron James, almost 29 a game. He's the only one to put up those numbers in his 20th season. And so it's it's an absolute ridiculous thing to watch him on a, on a regular day. He led the league in fast break points. He's pushing 40, and he's getting up and down, scoring, averaging over six fast-break points a game. So if he stays healthy, and these are all ifs, uh, I really – look at the team around him now. We, we've talked about it. They have quality players all around in Hachimura and Austin Reeves, who's coming off a season with Team USA, with uh, uh, D'Angelo Russell, who shot 40% after he, from three after he came to the – Back to the Lakers. They have quality players all over the place. Now, Gabe Vincent? Compliment. Absolutely. Another great pickup in the offseason, Gabe Vincent. Gabe Vincent. So, I mean, I really think that this team is complete. And as complete as they've been in a while, let's put it that way. And I really think if everybody's healthy, they're contenders for, with the Nuggets or whatever. This is the team that made the Western Finals. I know they got swept. And, you know, they they uh, the Nuggets deserve all the credit for that. But they got there. The the Suns did not. The Warriors did not. The Lakers did. And I think they can be even better. I, I totally agree. And I've watched a few of their preseason games, and I have a couple of big takeaways here. Number one, D'Angelo Russell's play. He has been huge in the preseason for this team. He looks to really be committed to having a successful season, something that 
you know, in, in years past, people have questioned, you know, how much he's into it, how committed he is to playing the right way or being disciplined. He's showing that di- discipline on both ends this year. Um, really like what I'm seeing from him. He can really be that third wheel offensive player if, you know, if Reeves isn't that guy on a nightly basis. Um, I, I, Torian Prince, a guy that they they signed just as a free agent, he's been playing outstanding basketball so far during the preseason. Could give him a lift off that bench, especially defensively, knocking down open threes. And I really do like Jackson Hayes that came over from the New Orleans Pelicans. He's got some good length. He moves well without the ball around the paint area to get to open positions for easy dump-offs. He's going to be a luxury. And then they've got Christian Wood, who obviously has bounced around quite a bit, but is a very talented player. So I'm in full agreement. And they've had all this, you know, great looks in preseason. And we haven't even seen Gabe Vincent once yet. We haven't seen Vincent once. We haven't seen Vanderbilt once. So uh, all signs are pointing up in L.A. I'll say this, too. I mentioned how the Buffs, you know, their their perimeter shooting is uh, something that they definitely need. There may be no team that's a contender that needs perimeter shooting more than the Los Angeles Lakers. They, they really need some guys to step up and be shooters this season because as great as LeBron is, as great as AD is, we're talking about a guy, LeBron, that shot 32% from three. We're talking about AD that shot just over 25% from three. And thank goodness he stopped shooting three. So I think it only took about 74 total <laughs> for the season, which uh, you heard me complain at no end about how he just can't shoot from the perimeter anymore. He's got to be inside. So at least he's doing that part. But these are two of their, their two best players who really aren't perimeter threats. So they definitely need these, these guys that we talked about, Vincent and Hachimura and Austin Reeves and, and others to actually – D'Angelo Russell, like I said, shot well after he came to L.A. They need these guys to hit from the perimeter. If they do, it really, really makes this team tough. And I think we should give some credit to Darvin Ham. I thought he had an excellent rookie year coaching that team last year. He's only going to be better moving forward. And real quickly here, Bruce, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on D'Angelo Russell's postgame comments, talking about being committed to the defensive end and really, you know, kind of looking up to Derek White with the Boston Celtics. What what were just your thoughts seeing D'Lo, of all players, uh, make that kind of comparison and someone he's looking at? All I could think of was D'Lo knows. I mean, that's game recognizing game right there. I mean, that's exactly what that is. And if D'Lo decides that he wants to start digging in a little bit more on defense, that just makes the Lakers even more formidable than they already are. Totally agree. Now with our fourth quarter here, I thought we'd have some fun with a rookie of the year debate. In my eyes, I see it being a three-man race with three candidates being Victor Wembanyama of the San Antonio Spurs, Scoot Henderson of the Portland Trailblazers, and Chet Holmgren of the Oklahoma City Thunder. Now, the way I see it, Wemby, he's going to have some monster games. He's obviously going to get a lot of exposure with some TV time. And, of course, there's going to be tons of crazy highlights um, that that we see throughout uh the season just with some of the dunks we saw a fun one just the other night over Thomas Bryant where Bryant kind of looked at the bench like I mean what just happened he had no idea what just hit him (laughs) (laughs) but my big question with Wemby is will he play 65 games now with Scoot Scoot's going to get plentiful minutes and opportunity under Chauncey Billups in Portland but there's going to be a lot of poor shooting nights and a lot of bad turnover games that are concerns of mine having watched 
three of his preseason games thus far as I'm the first one to admit I'm a huge Scoot fan. And lastly, Chet, I think we can safely say Oklahoma City uh, will have the best record by a landslide in comparison to the other two uh, teams that these rookies play on. And uh, Chet's got a polished game that fits a huge need for this exciting Thunder team, uh, something they were certainly missing last season. So he's going to look like the missing link and also put up some big numbers. So, World B, I'll start with you. I mean, who is your favorite for Rookie of the Year uh, this season? Based on what I've seen so far, and we all know it's a, it's been a small sample and it is still the preseason, mm-hmm. um, Wemby, to me, looked – what I saw against the Miami Heat last week had my jaw on the floor because I'm looking at a guy, if he say, like you said, if he stays healthy with his size, you know, that is a concern. If he stays healthy, he is a game changer in this league. He's not just a good player. He's somebody who can change the game with his length. I don't know if we've seen anybody with his length, his athleticism and his size in one package in the NBA, not all the things combined. He's a, we've had tall guys. We've had guys with great length or whatever, you know, their wingspan. And we've had obviously guys that tall and that size skinny or whatever that have been in the league, but you take all three of those combined and the things he can do with the ball, the things they, they've tried to work with the pick and rolls and cutting to the basket and just being able to throw the darn thing up in the air. I don't even know if you have to look, and he's going to get it and put it down. It's a really impressive thing. I think he's uh, – if he plays the way – the what I saw, I don't know if he'd get rookie of the year, but he probably would be the best rookie. And I'll say one more thing real quick. I'm a Scoot Henderson fan as well. I think uh, I got to watch him in the preseason This really the first time. And to me, he looks like a 10-year vet with the handling of the ball, the way he runs the offense. He's got to shoot better, but I think he will. He's got to turn overnights or whatever, but every most rookies have that. But he looks like a guy who's been in this league five, six years already. And so I, I expect big things from both those two players. You know, after Damian Lillard was traded to the Bucks, the Scoot Henderson Rookie of the Year bandwagon went into overdrive, understandably so. We all felt that since the rookie was going to have the keys to the offense, he'd have the best opportunity to put up big numbers, and that gave him a leg up in the chase for the award, or so we thought. In his three preseason games against NBA teams, he's averaged 15.7 points a game. Pretty good numbers, okay? Chet Holmgren of OKC, uh, the aforementioned, has played in two preseason games against NBA teams. The reason I'm saying against NBA teams is because some of their preseason games were against, like, you know, New Zealand club team and, you know, the Israeli team that I'm going to talk about in my closing comment. But anyway, so I'm just giving you their numbers against NBA teams here, okay? Uh, Chet averaged 18 and a half, including 21 when he went head-to-head against the Spurs and Victor. Better numbers than Scoot's 15.7. Speaking of Victor, he's played two games against NBA teams and averaged 21 and a half, okay? The best of the three rookies expected to compete for the award. Now, context time. Of the three teams, as you mentioned, Ross, OKC will be the best. So I'd expect Holmgren to play in more meaningful games, but his numbers will likely be worse than the other two guys because he's got a bunch of ballers on his team, Shea Gilgis-Alexander, J-A-L-E-N Williams, and others, okay? So he's going to play in more meaningful games, but he's not going to have the numbers. 
The Spurs are going to be improved, but I think Victor's minutes are going to be managed by Greg Popovich. I don't think he's going to burn this guy out as a rookie. So I expect that he's not going to average 20 during the season. He'll average somewhere in the teens, I would imagine. And I don't know, probably a bunch of rebounds and certainly block shots. So that leaves Scoot. I expect the Blazers to be better than many are predicting, but probably not a playoff team. Scoot's going to get his minutes. He'll have the ball in his hands, as I said at the beginning of this sermon. <laughs> and as we said at the start, he should have lots of scoring chances. So after all that, I am picking Scoot to win the Rookie of the Year award. I will, I'll say this too real quick. I, I want to mention some. We haven't mentioned them, and who knows if we will, how many times we will during the season. Uh, I've gotten to see Brandon Miller play with the Hornets, and all the stuff that they talk about with the athleticism, being off the charts and all that stuff is accurate. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. And I really think um, I really think he and Melo, uh, the Melo Ball, could really be some a really young, dynamic duo for this league. I you know, Hopefully – you know, for me being a Hornets uh, fan happens this season, but down the road, I really think they have a chance to be a good p- centerpiece. Now, you know, LaMelo signed his uh, uh, extension. I think they have a really good chance to be the keys to turning that franchise around. Yeah, no, definitely got to keep a lookout on Brandon Miller as well. I know he's had some highlights throughout preseason. So it's going to be a fun year tracking these young rookies. Uh, throughout the the season, and I'm sure we'll keep all our listeners up to date on the progress each are making. I'm sure we're going to have some notes throughout the year on what we're seeing on those guys, so should be a lot of fun. All right, it's time for our final thoughts, and Bruce, I'll go ahead and start with you. Thanks, Ross. You know, if you follow the real world outside of the NBA or the sports world, uh, it's hard to avoid knowing that right now the Middle East is on fire. Uh, The country of Israel is in the middle of things. The terrorist attack they suffered on October 7th has grabbed the attention of the world and what many have called a mini Holocaust. After taking such a vicious blow, the nation's psyche has been bruised but not broken. But in the midst of all the death, the mourning, and the fighting, there's a pro team from Israel playing NBA teams around the United States. On Monday, Ra'anana Maccabi finished up a three-game exhibition tour against the Nets, the Cavaliers, and the Timberwolves. And it doesn't really matter that the games weren't close, although Monday night uh, they hung in pretty good against Minnesota. But Israel is a basketball-mad country, and the presence of one of their teams competing against the NBA, especially at a time of national danger, is a sign of hope and a morale boost for a country that shares our love of the sport and needs all the positive energy it can muster right now. Well said there, Bruce, and definitely our thoughts and prayers go out to Uh, everyone in Israel and everyone being affected by uh, this terrible time in the Middle East. World B. Thank you, Ross. Earlier in the podcast, we discussed some of the topics that came out from the annual GM survey. One of the items we didn't discuss was the topic of best coach. While it was not a surprise to see Eric Spolster receive the highest percentage of votes from GMs, 73%, I want to focus on the coach who finished number two in this category, Clippers coach Teron Liu. Liu, who received 10% of the votes from GMs, continues to be one of the most unappreciated coaches in the league. He has an NBA championship winning coach who has made two other trips to the NBA Finals and has had a winning record in every season he's been allowed to coach at least half the season. 
I mentioned that because he was fired in 2018, 2019 after just six games, which only happened to be the Cavs' first season after LeBron left for L.A. He's had a major impact on the Clippers ever since he you know, became their head coach, taking him to the West Finals in his first season in 2021. Just last season, he got 44 wins out of a Clipper team that had their two stars on the court, Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, for all of 38 games. While L.A. lost to the Suns in the first round of the playoffs, Lou was without uh, Kawhi Leonard and, and Paul George for each of the final three games, with George not playing any of the games because of his injury. In three seasons with in L.A., the Clippers have a combined record of 30 games over 500, despite having Leonard and George on the court together for just 81 of 236 games. That's 34%. It was good to see GMs recognize greatness when they see it because that is exactly where Lou belongs in coaching circles as one of the greats. I totally agree with you there and uh, glad to see him get some recognition and he will be one of the highly sought out coaches if he does not come to an extension with the Clippers here soon. I think he has a year or two left on his current deal. So it should be interesting to track that along with uh, kind of what happens with the stars there. Not only just James Harden, if does a trade get done there, but you know what happens with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard moving forward. The Clippers have a lot of decisions to make, and uh, the good news is they're in a good position of, of controlling a lot of those players and, and kind of controlling their own destiny with whether or not they end up firing off on a uh, James Harden trade. As for my final thought, there was a recent article that came out on Denver Nuggets general manager Calvin Booth, who had some interesting thoughts on Bruce Brown's offseason departure and whether it'd be a huge loss to the team with Peyton Watson likely taking over some of the newfound minutes on the floor. So I quote Booth here, some of these teams were not trying to get some of these teams were trying to get Bruce, trying to make it worth it. It's like just be careful what you wish for. Peyton's bigger. He's longer. He's more athletic. He guards better. He passes better. He doesn't have the experience and he is not as good offensively yet, but we need defense and more than the offense. We are, excuse me, but we need defense more than we need offense on this team. So the line in Booth's strong statement that really stood out to me is quote, he doesn't have the experience. That in itself is a cause for concern, if you ask me. Are we sure he guards better, as you say? Can he really pass better? Last I checked, a lot of those areas can only improve and be confirmed with experience during regular season minutes, which in fairness, Peyton will be receiving this year, as Calvin Booth stated. By no means do I think the Nuggets should have paid Bruce Brown what he earned on the open market signing with the Indiana Pacers, but relying on young players that lack experience, I will say to Calvin, on the flip side, the same saying that he stated could also be true. Be careful what you wish for. And we're really going to find that out with the Denver Nuggets this season. They let Jeff Green go. They let Bruce Brown go. He's now talking up highly about Peyton Watson, who's really unproven. Christian Brown, can he handle the bigger role? These are things that we're going to find out and obviously just make this season that much more exciting and intriguing for the Denver Nuggets. So with that, that will do it for this edition of the 48 Minutes Podcast on Believe. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll be back with you next week to be sure you're up to date in 48 on all things around the association. Take care, everybody.